With NFTs getting closer to going mainstream, it's more important than ever that creators and consumers feel confident that their NFT is secure on the blockchain. Nothing would be worse than owning an image and having it disappear into nothingness one day in the future. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Jonathan Victor, head of Web3 and NFTs at Protocol Labs. Powered by IPFS and Filecoin, their NFT.storage site houses more than 45 million NFTs from marketplaces like OpenSea, Magic Eden, Maker's Place, and about 2,000 other users. So let's go down the rabbit hole of NFT permanence and decentralizing my brain to IPFS on today's episode number 598 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, Most High, Sir Lord, Reverend Travis Wright, Esquire, Time Lord, I believe you have been made redundant, good sir. And since you store your brain on Amazon Web Services, AWS, you have been deleted. Sorry. Oh, man. But I just got my new title, Apostle of Humility. (laughs) You're proud of that one, aren't you? (laughs) That's my favorite because I always make jokes about being so humble. And uh, it's always funny. So now I'm apostle of humility, and uh, that's great. I want to also say uh, I am actually humbled to see that we are almost at episode 600. I know. What are we going to do for uh, for 600? So that'll be that should come out next Wednesday. Then, if my math yeah. is correct, yeah. and uh, so we got to do something special for that one. Um, Let's get you know, some calls. I'll actually be we, at we... NFT. I'll be at NFT LA that day when that when that comes out. So this weekend we're gonna have to figure something out. Let, something let's. Cool. How about hey guys, call us. Let me give you the bad crypto hotline. Maybe we'll use some of your um, mm. your messages. The bad crypto hotline number. Take this down or just hit the rewind fifteen seconds. You know button on your uh, podcast player after I say this. 708-885-9030. Call the Bad Crypto Hotline. It's on 24-7, and you can leave a voicemail. Uh, wish us a happy sixth anniversary. Tell us how long you've been listening to the show. Uh, make a bad joke. Tell us which one of us you think is more handsome. Um, perhaps tell us your favorite shit coin. Like, whatever you want. Just share with us whatever. 708 708- 885-9030. And if you say I'm more handsome, we'll use it. If you say Travis is more handsome, it's it's not good. We know you're blind. We know that you have no brain. <laughs> um, um, well, I would say this. Let's send out an email, too, to our to our people who've tuned in. And um, that way we get a bunch of people sort of toned in. If, if people only hear this one and they don't listen to it in time, they might not get it. So let's maybe shoot out an email for episode 600. Because I love those episodes where they say something and then we we respond to it. So um, let's maybe do that for episode 600. I like that idea, Joel. Send us a message, uh, call it, call in, and then we will actually comment after your uh, your post. That was cool. I like I like doing those. You can also email us badcryptopodcast at gmail.com. If you're like, but I don't want my voice is like this, and I don't want to be on the show. That's fine. <laughs> if your voice is like that, you don't want to be on the show. Although it also sounds, if your voice sounds like that, it also sounds like you're looking for your precious. Yeah. <laughs> Although if your voice is like that, I kind of want you to be on the show. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if you'd rather us read your comments, badcryptopodcast at gmail.com is yeah. the place to do Hey, that. maybe actually, so I'm going to... Um, Today, timestamp for this is 323, and I am uh, speaking at a crypto event in Tulum, Mexico today at the big uh, crypto Tulum event. And uh, maybe I can get a recording of that for, I don't know, I'm going to go off the rails on some stuff, but uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, it might be good. Might be good. Um, so there, there's so many exciting announcements happening, and um, I, I've been telling you guys on the show that we've been working with a major Hollywood celebrity on an NFT series. And we're going to share with you who that is and direct you to a website so you can learn more. After today's interview, uh, we don't want to be redundant, but we do want our NFTs to be redundant. That is to not be able to be taken down. And this is important stuff here as we welcome our guest, Jonathan Victor, to the show to talk all about NFT decentralization. 
with NFTs taking over the crypto and blockchain landscape in many respects, at least hogging a lot of the news, as long as ApeCoin's not hogging news from them, there's a lot of discussion around owning your images and some platforms you really don't own the image and if the image is taken down by the owner of the site guess what your nft is a broken image and that's why a lot of us use services like ipfs we use pinata.cloud to pin our nfts on the wax blockchain but it's time to go down the rabbit hole of this whole image storage your nft storages storages yeah, where you put them. We've got with us the head of NFTs at Protocol Labs, Jonathan Victor, to talk about all these things today. John, welcome to Bad Crypto. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, man. So before we dive in too deep about what Protocol does and how it works and answer some of these questions, why don't you just give us the uh, short version of your background and how you got into this wild, wacky world of crypto and NFTs? Yeah. So I guess zooming back to around late 2015, early 2016, I was working outside of the Web3 space, obviously had heard about crypto. It was one of those things where like it was on my radar, but I was just not super well-versed, not super deep. I had a buddy though, who was very into Ethereum, uh, who was in the DAO before the, the hack actually happened. And so he had been really pushing me to like learn more. And given I was doing a job that had a lot of like consulting routes, flying on planes, it became like my basic pastime just to read white papers, listen to talks, just trying to better understand what was getting everyone else so excited. And it took a while, I think, uh, for, for more classic blockchain use cases of like alternative to money. I think that sort of resonated, made sense. I think smart contracts took a bit longer for me to understand. I was actually working in the big data space. And so in the big data space, parallel compute is really for th like throughput, not for increasing like verifiability or like trustlessness. Uh, so trying to understand like what were the use cases that Ethereum potentially could unlock still was trying to wrap my head around. Uh, but IPFS was something that came up quite a lot in those early uh, research days. And that made much more sense to me. Uh, a lot of the work that I was doing actually involved offline compute and trying to design systems that were where you couldn't like assume internet connectivity. And so it's something that just by default says, well, what if we reimagined how information is passed around the web? We don't default assume that every device has connectivity, that we have these central points where we can access data out of. It just made much more sense from like an elegance of the design sort of perspective. And that's actually how I sort of like fell into like the web through rabbit hole. It's a little bit more divergent where it actually started much more from like the IPFS side. And then through that, I actually became much more well acquainted with all the different use cases, especially with like NFTs as a very specific instantiation of like digital ownership using IPFS as like off-chain references. I'm sure we'll get Wait, into that. What word did you just use? Insagi, what was that? Instantiation. Instantiation. Uh, just like, just like a, a creation of like that idea manifested in a specific form. Um, oh, I like that word. Yeah. I just learned something new. Hey, yeah. my, have you seen my instantiation? <laughs> Travis, can I borrow Man. your instantiation? It sounds today? like parking in, in Spanish. I need to go find the estacionamiento. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. That's great, bro. So you're saying that your favorite pastime is reading white papers. That is boring, bro. I actually, I, I mean, I, I will say. the knowledge within it, but I found that I, there's this new app that um, is on my, uh, uh, is there, there's an extension and there's an app called Speechify. So if I find a big, long-ass PDF, I will plug it into Speechify, and it will read it to me as I read along. It's, I find that it's way easier to digest white papers that way. I think that, I mean, like, so I'll say it's not the white paper specifically. It's just, like, the ideas and the applications. I think the moment you start pulling at the rabbit hole of, like, okay, it, does this thing actually make sense? The white paper is there more just to, like, be able to figure out what's fluff and what's, like, actually an interesting idea. And then it becomes much more interesting when you see the applications. So around like 2017, there was a lot of, I don't know if folks remember this, like Puerto Rico was hit with a hurricane. And there's like all these news stories about Google trying to save the internet over there by flowing, like flying these giant weather balloons beaming down like 2G speeds. And when you think about it, it's totally insane that something that's as critical as the web is dependent on Google and weather balloons trying to like save it with internet speeds that barely can load anything. 
Um, and that's purely just a function of like, how is the web designed? So like we can make something more resilient. Um, or you can even look at like Turkey and Wikipedia. Erdogan has a ban on Wikipedia. Uh, and so there's actually a lot of people who run IPFS uh, or like run IPFS to host copies of Wikipedia. So there's like an uncensorable version of Wikipedia that's just available. And so I think this is much more about like the white paper itself is like interesting because it shows like, how could you do this technical thing? The applications are the parts that get like super exciting. We're like, holy shit, like there's a thousand different ways that this could be used. Um, let, yeah. let, let's go linear here. I want to uh, let's talk about the problem. Like before IPFS, there was storage of images and what we would call NFTs. Right. So explain what's broken with that and what can happen. Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll use this analogy I, I use a bit. So when people think of IPFS, it's usually in contrast to HTTP. And HTTP is like the thing that you use on the web today. If you go to a website, you're going to like HTTP or HTTPS, like google.com. And like my analogy for how HTTP works is like, imagine we're talking about a book say like To Kill a Mockingbird. And what I tell you guys to do is like, if you want to read that book, you should fly to New York where I live, like come to the center of town. We have a library in the library. There's a bookshelf, three bookshelves over, two books on the right on the second story, whatever. Like you'll find the book that you're looking for. And of course, many things could go wrong. Airplane could like, flight could get canceled. Library could burn down. Different book could be there. Book could be entirely missing. Like all of these are things that happen on the web today whether like a website's taken down, a domain is traded, someone else now owns that domain, something else could be at the other end of that URL because someone has made an update to the website, you're unaware of it. Uh, someone could put a virus there, the link could just break altogether. Uh, like this is just the fragility of how like location-based addressing, which is what HTTP is, like those, that's just fragility in how these links work. Now, like the inversion of that and the thing that IPFS says is like, well, what if instead of me telling you where to go to get your book, what if instead I just gave you a very specific description and then you could ask anyone for it? So if instead of saying like, come to New York and do all that stuff to find the book in a specific location, if I told you, well, to, Kicking, to Kill a Mockingbird is written by Harper Lee, it's got this many pages, here's the ISBN number, here's the cover art, you could ask anyone for a copy of that book. So like, Joel, you could ask me, I could ask my friends, I could, they could ask their friends, Whoever finds a copy of the thing that meets that description could hand it back all the way up through this chain. And then like you could verify that the thing that you got was actually the thing that you asked for. And so like you could, the you interesting- could ask Mark David Chapman for Catcher in the Rye too, if you wanted. There you go. A lot, yeah. A lot, a, lot <laughs> a lot of different books out there. <laughs> I guess the, the main point being like, yeah, the book could be anywhere. It doesn't actually, you could even have it on your bookshelf for all you know. Like the most important thing is that the book can be like passed around the web. Doesn't matter how it got to you. You can just say like, hey, internet, I'm looking for some data. Internet can hand you back data. And then you know that it's the right thing that you were looking for. And that means that you don't have to then assume that like Google is the one in control of your data or Facebook or any specific institution. Like the data can actually live anywhere. Uh, and that's kind of like the big twist. And so when we think about NFTs, like what is an NFT? Well, an NFT from the perspective of like an Ethereum or a WAX, it's gonna be like a name, that is, like it's a token, but that token only has a few properties on the blockchain. Usually it's like a name, a description, and then some URI. So it's just like some pointer that says like, if you're looking for this asset, go to this URL. And if that thing is pointing at some specific location, all those problems that I mentioned, library burning down, different book being there, all that can happen with your NFT. If you're using something like IPFS though, it doesn't actually matter where the content is stored. The thing that you're saying is like, hey, my NFT isn't linked to some other person's server. It's saying my NFT is linked to this specific piece of content. And then so that means it can't be taken down, right? It's, 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 it's uncensorable or is there still a way that that image can be blocked? Yeah, so we talk about this in two forms. There's like the resiliency of the link. So like, what's that reference you're going to put in there? And then how do you make sure that that link always resolves to something? So part one of that problem is where like IPFS solves the problem. IPFS makes no assumptions about storage. It just says, hey, I'm going to give you a very like resilient way of referencing this content. The second part of that problem is like, how do I make sure someone has that data? 
And that's actually where like Filecoin comes in as like a complementary protocol, which gives you these really strong cryptographic guarantees about how do we make sure someone's holding onto this data. But like IPFS is actually the beauty of it is because it's not saying the data has to live anywhere. It's not saying that you have to use Filecoin, though I would argue it has the best guarantees. Like you could use Filecoin, you can use your local computer. So like Brave has like an IPFS integration. You can literally just stick it in your browser. You can use Pinata. You can use all of the above. And IPFS will grab it off of any of those and be happy with it. And so the important thing is that really you've got these like two layers of security. Layer number one is like you have this universal reference, which means you can pull off of anything. And then layer number two is just saying like, there are copies that you can store in many different places. And then there's folks like, uh, so like NFT storage is a team that I work with. They're actually building what is sort of like the internet archive of NFTs where they're just literally scraping every chain and like sticking stuff into like different locations to just get resiliency for everybody. Um, and so that's sort of like the magic of like what CID is enable. It means that it doesn't matter if it's like you or like the NFT storage team or even the internet archive themselves, anyone can like offer storage capacity and serve the stuff back to make sure that the content's always there. So, so maybe explain this to some folks around, you know, there's websites and there's platforms, Filecoin is one, Siacoin, they're already kind of doing some things where they're distributing the data. And, and so in theory, it should, they should never be lost either. But if those blockchain goes away, that's a possibility. So how, how would this be different? Or maybe how is your solution more advantageous? Yeah, great question. So the way that we think about this is like storage layer, I jokingly call it storage layer maximalism. So like the cool part about IPFS is, and this is like all the protocols that we build, it's a modular thing. Like if you use IPFS, you can use Filecoin, you can use Saya, you can use Arweave, you can use whatever you want. And even if one of those blockchains goes away, it means that you can get like the maximum like redundancy across all three if you wanted to, and your NFT will still resolve because the CID is agnostic of any specific blockchain. It doesn't care. Um, specifically, when we talk about like Filecoin as a blockchain, Filecoin does some really clever stuff, which is like gonna get a little bit brain bendy. So I will <laughs> give fair warning here. Uh, the thing Filecoin does is it uses zero knowledge proofs in a really clever way to basically get verifiable statements that your data is actually still on the network. So like when you store data on the network, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with like what a ZK snark is, but it's a little proof. And the little proof is only possible to be generated if someone actually has your data and they're required to continually prove that they have your data over the course of like a deal or anything like that. And like, that's how we can actually verify. It's not even like you have to trust me. It's like, you can go look at Filecoin's blockchain. It's literally a bunch of statements about like data integrity of like this data is still on the network and still being proved by these people. And this is how you can actually like verify that it's there. And so if you want to build up to then say like, I want to make sure that this has like some minimum number of copies, you just say like, I always want to see five proofs that there's like five copies of this data on the network, but the network is able to like verify that that's actually happening versus, and this gets into some of the technical nuance, without having these proofs, it's actually not really easy to be able to say that thing. Um, so... Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I've been using pinata.cloud. You, as part of Protocol Labs, uh, run a site called nft.storage, right? And mm -hmm. this, I'm assuming this is a similar type of service that offers free storage. People can upload their, their images there to IPFS and Filecoin and then pin them so that they can be used uh, cross chains, right? It doesn't matter. You're just storing the image. It doesn't matter if you're minting them into Ethereum, Polygon, Solana wax they can do that there and you're saying that once they are there their nft cannot be taken down exactly so the way to think about nft storage uh this is actually like the the grandmaster plan is nft storage is trying to build what is like a public commons for nft data i think like nfts are interesting in a bunch of different ways uh I think if you even follow some of the creators, I think they sort of grok this as well, where like NFTs allow for public consumption of like private goods. Like you can have private ownership of what anyone can view. And so in some senses that like leads to this really interesting question of how do we make sure, like whose responsibility is it to make sure this content is available? Like one person who like definitely has a vested stake in the accessibility of that content are like individuals who are like in charge, they've bought the NFT, it's theirs. 
but it does lead to these other questions of like, because these are for public consumption and there are other people who have vested stakes in making sure that content's available, well, who makes sure in the event, like a, let's say a collector is like negligent. Uh, if this content goes away, if it's the only copy of that data, does the public not also suffer as well? And so NFT storage was started as an answer, uh, looking at things like the Internet Archive to say like, how do we build a public commons around this? So like NFT storage, what it does behind the scenes, it has some public IPFS nodes, which is what we use. Uh, these are like subsidized by protocol labs. But the more interesting thing it does is it shoves everything into Filecoin where storage is super cheap. Um, over time, later this year, Filecoin's launching smart contracts. The actual plan is to just build a DAO around like, how do we manage a public commons, do it with the community, um, and then have this DAO that's literally just like managing funds that are doing like DeFi things to generate yields and like actually fund the like endowment for this like this public commons of data. Um, but the, the public commons of data is both things that people upload directly in NFT, but also just the indexing efforts from a bunch of different community members so on Ethereum to like literally just do a scrape of Ethereum to like, what are all the NFT that we see for every NFT, like a centralized URL. We're trying to do like the internet archive thing of saying like, look, I don't know what this thing was at all different parts, but I can tell you on the day that we pulled this, what was the like the CID of that asset? So like we can have like a fallback thing in case people like in the future, those links potentially break. We have something that people can try to like rescue from. Um, also for any NFTs and CIDs we see, we can actually like create additional copies and just stick those in Filecoin for anything. Really, it's just like, how do you create resiliency layers on top? Um, but it also means that we can create the substrate for open APIs. So if someone wants to build public indexes of NFTs so that someone can build like a super wallet. So like whether you're building on like, if you're a collector and you're collecting across like Tezos, Polygon, Ethereum, all these different chains, and you want to have like some great like super wallet app that allows someone to just view all of their NFTs that they own everywhere. Like we want to have a place where you can build an index to make that querying super fast. Um, I got a follow up here before Travis asks you an amazing question, because I know it's going to be amazing. Um, did you go to Texas A&M? I did not. Because uh, you do the hook em horns as you like, we're on video here talking. Uh, <laughs> you keep doing hook em horns with your hands, you know, where you've got the pinky and the forefinger extended. I'm like, I wonder if this is an AM guy and he just doesn't even no. realize he's subconsciously <laughs> doing this. I told you it was really important, Trav. I did. That's it was worth interrupting your great question. That was that was spectacular, my, my dude. Um, so so my question is this I'm I'm launching a project. Uh, ancientwisdom.io. I'm launching 7,777 of these shamans and medicine women and interesting sort of characters. And I have a long roadmap. So I'm sure there's other people who are listening right now. It's like, if you are in the process of minting or launching an NFT series, in your opinion, what is the best practice or how does one utilize your solution for the most effective use so that those, those images are there long-term? Yeah, so with NFT storage, we're trying to make this as easy as for folks as possible. Um, so literally, if you go to NFT storage, there's a few ways you can add data uh, to the product. But effectively, the way that this works is there's a JavaScript library. When you are like minting your NFT, what it will do is if you run this JavaScript library, it will calculate that like fingerprints, the CID, the content ID of your asset on your side. So like literally before you upload anything, it is creating the car file, uh, which is the name of that type of file. Um, but it means that we're not modifying anything. You're just telling us like, hey, here's the fingerprints of the content that I have that I want you to like store for me. And then we'll pin it in our like our IPFS nodes, we'll push it to Filecoin, all of that good stuff. Um, you can also do this if you already run IPFS, you can just add us as a remote pin. So like, if you want to just send us the things that you're already hosting, you can totally do that too. I think the way to think about NFT storage, this is like a public good. It's here is just like free resiliency. If you want to use other storage networks as well, it's super trivial to be able to use like Storage A, Rweave, whatever else you want to. I think the main important point is CIDs give you the flexibility to swap between storage layers and do many of them in parallel. So like my advice would always be start with the CID, whether it's like just using your own infrastructure, using our infrastructure, using Pinata's infrastructure, that's like always the most resilient thing to start with. 
and then stick it wherever you'd like for free remote pinning options. So like you should definitely abuse it. <laughs> we highly encourage it. Uh, but then also like you should feel free to look at other like storage layers and do the exact same thing as well. Um, and especially when you start thinking about like, what does true resiliency mean? It also might mean like, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can get one of the things we're also working on is how do we get wallets to just like natively embed IPFS nodes? So like if you're going to view your NFT, you might as well cache a copy as well. Like that seems like an intuitive thing as well. Um, so yeah, uh, that would be my advice. Storage layer maximalism, stick the data everywhere. So say your company, NFT storage, you know, sorry, it doesn't work. It's a failure. And what happens to people who have utilized your service in the past? Like this, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter, right? No. So that's the beauty of things like Filecoin, right? Like even if we go away, like Filecoin has like deals that just last. Like, so, so long as the data lands into these decentralized networks, which are giving you these guarantees, like the data is going to be available so long as like those deals are active and everything that's being built is totally open. So like anyone could just grab the data and like renew the deals. Our actual goal is like Filecoin is launching smart contracts later this year literally just set up smart contracts that have bounties on them to like auto renew deals. Um, but that's really like how you can get like strong guarantees around that. Um, I would say like even, so a good example of this, I don't know if, are you guys familiar with HEN and the Tezos ecosystem? No. HEN stands for Hicket Nunk. Uh, this is like the big art oh, platform. Oh yeah, that they're the NFT site that's impossible to pronounce and is the most horrible <laughs> marketing branding idea in the history of NFTs. Yes, except it has an incredible amount of traction with like a subset of artists. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, we've seen that. We, we, we joked about that. It's like, you can't say it. The only way you can get to it is if you have it as a bookmark. Because even when you say it, and we've seen it, we still don't know what the hell it is because everybody pronounces it differently. <laughs> yeah. They, they think they're <laughs> the being worst. clever. And, and I'm sure it is clever. It's just really poor branding. Yeah, I want to say this. I own nifty.market. Whatever your site is, if you want to buy it from me, let me know. It's way better than whatever the, whatever the hell it is. It's hitting an oomkumpup. <laughs> fart, fart, click, click. <laughs> okay, spell, spell it for me, would you? Hicket Nunk. I think it's H I C E T N U N C. Dot X Y Z. I think that's right, though. So yeah. the story I was going to say is, I'm pretty that's sure. The worst. Come on, can we just say? Can we just admit that that's the worst? It's the worst. Thank you. <laughs> well, make, uh, make your point, say, John. Go for it. <laughs> was so there was actually like an interesting story uh, late last year where one of the lead developers just shut down the marketplace. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure why, uh, but if you like go through their Twitter, you'll see where he was just like, "I'm closing Hicking Hunk," and that was kind of the end. Uh, and then like the community was able to like spring into an action. All of the like CIDs meant that like all these different providers that just took up the pinning were able to. I think there's like this interesting question people sometimes have where like sometimes they default to this idea that any single storage, like even the systems that we have today, it's not guaranteed. Like Amazon could go bankrupt, like any individual can go like disappear. I think like the magical things about CIDs is it gives you this flexibility to say, I'm going to take this maximalist approach. Things like Filecoin can give you very strong guarantees about specific durations. When you have things that are like auto renewing deals, when you have like automatic funding through like DeFi things as well, there's like really cool primitives that you can have. But I think we like to think of it from like, what does each system guarantee for you? And so, yeah, like NFT storage, like our entire plan is around like, we should be able to like disappear and it should end up being like automatic things managed by protocols. But I think for any NFT creator and artist, I think the one thing that's important to sort of like keep in mind is all the protocols, for all we know, the storage protocols that exist today may not even be the correct ones. The thing that's really nice about IPFS is it means like you can always upgrade to like the next thing if I'm like, I don't know, call it 200 years. Like there's a new protocol, new file format, everything is like improved. Uh, how do we make sure this stuff is resilient? Like give yourself a way of being future-proofed and that's it. Can you imagine trying to go mainstream? Say, all right, everybody, NFTs are now easy for everybody. Go to hicketnunk.xyz and, <laughs> and you can uh, onboard. So <laughs> I, just, uh, I just want to reiterate how shitty that domain name is. Yeah. Like, 
but I mean, they've got a community there in, in the Tezos. By the way, I did mint an NFT there a few months ago, and I have no idea what wallet I used. And I thought I bookmarks. I don't even know. It might be lost out there in Hickick Nunk, you know, Bill for forever. So let's talk a little bit about NFTs um, in the news right now, because there's some interesting things that are happening that um, I think we should address so the SEC is now investigating the NFT market. What do you think that means? What do you think they're investigating? And what do you think they'll find besides a lot of a zoo of animals in profile pictures? What do you think is gonna the fallout's gonna be on all this? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think there's probably the area where I would imagine they're looking the closest are like fractional NFTs. Um, so uh, if for, I don't know, are you guys familiar with fractional, uh, like fractional NFTs? Is yeah, like of a, course. Yeah. So, you know, you can own, uh, there's a, um, um, a crypto punk, for example, and somebody's selling fractionally and for X amount of dollars, you own a percentage of that crypto punk. Yeah. And I, I think that's the sort of thing where like NFTs itself themselves are such a broad category. I think it'd be really hard. And especially if you look at like the Howey test, I think there's like a lot of components, especially like the operative word solely uh, in that last part of the Howey test, which is like uh, the, the through solely the efforts of others, like especially with NFTs that are very community-based, that seems really hard to argue that like, is it really just Yuga Labs that's making like a board eight more valuable or something like that for especially these things like fractional NFTs. I think the reason the lights are probably going off in like the SEC is they're taking a look at like, well, this idea that you put a thing in a box and then you sell shares to that box is like a very classic finance move. And so I think they're probably like trying to like reconcile how this is different from that. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not a lawyer. I, th I think this is the part where it's like, there will be like interesting different definitions of what are people getting when they buy specific like fractional shares or like fractional pieces of uh, like an NFT? I think this is maybe the more interesting bit. Um, but I, I would also say this is one of those areas where it's probably good that we get regulatory clarity. Uh, I think there's just a lot of overhang right now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would imagine for most NFT projects, this isn't actually going to affect them in any specific way. Uh, at least the ones that are like doing legitimate things. I think it's pretty easy to argue if like the thing that you're doing is like actually falling within, like if you're minting NFTs as art, like people make art uh, collectibles, people sell collectibles, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think it's the more interesting applications that intersect between like DeFi and NFTs that maybe get a little bit more like, mm, I don't know. A lot, a lot of gray areas in there. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm trying to figure out with this project is to create this meta vault where I have some cryptos in there of different types. And then I have some different NFTs in there, maybe even, you know, uh, investments in certain companies inside this vault. And then a certain amount of people are, are sharing within that. Um, it's, it's a gray area and it's hard, I think for the SEC and for some of these regulators, because, you know, regulators want to regulate um, the technology moves so fast that it's kind of hard, I think for them to, even wrap their brains around it, especially when you see, <laughs> I always go back to that time when Zuckerberg was there, at, you know, at, at Congress and, the, and the, the congressional leaders were asking the most asinine, dumbest ass questions you'd ever heard. <clears throat> so if I'm on Facebook, does that mean I'm on the internet? Like, is this, <laughs> if you're showing me, if I'm on Facebook, does that mean that's an advertisement? Like, like you guys are dumb. Like, so having these people be the ones who help regulate Crypto and NFTs kind of scares me. There seems like there's going to be something happening, but then it's so hard to track anyway. Like, what price did you buy the NFT at? How much is it worth? What's the floor at? When did you get it? What? Blah, 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 blah. It's so difficult. Like, it, they have enough problems with their 40,000 pages of regulations in the IRS guide already than how to track all that. Because, hell, there's nobody who's figured out how to track NFTs yet, right? I don't think so. I don't know. Um. <laughs> on this, are you on Wax? Are you buying NFTs there? Tezos, Flow, you know, Binance, ETH, Polygon. Like, there's so many of them. Like, it's it's, it's impossible. 
I think like one of the things that's interesting to me is like, you sort of see how regulators have historically engaged with industries. And it, especially when you have centralized organizations, it's easier to say like, okay, I'm going to designate this intermediary needs to like do a bunch of work and like collect a bunch of information and make my job as a regulator easier. And now when we don't have those intermediaries, there's a lot more legwork that a regulator will have to do because it's not like there is a specific person who's going to generate like whatever forms or things that they need to just like have information flow directly to them. That being said, I also think this is where maybe it's also a good time for us to revisit how we thought about like specific policies before. Like, I'm sure you guys have talked about like accredited investor rules. I think that also is an area where like there is opportunity for us to do better. Uh, yeah, the US, than, like, US government says, hey, if you have a lot of money, you can make more money. But if you don't, um, you're not allowed to invest and make a lot more money. But you can go down to the local casino and drop your entire social security check on red or black, right? Yeah, or, or lottery tickets where it's like EV negative. Like, I think this is wait where- second, Wait a second, isn't the SEC trying to increase the, the, the amount from a million dollars to like 10 million or something crazy? I read the SEC was changing the definition of an accredited investor, probably because the dollar's about to tank and they're like, well, having a million dollars isn't really that much anymore. I mean, I think this is sort of like, you have to have, there's different philosophies of like, how many guardrails do people have? I think like most crypto people probably fall in the bucket of like, look, I'm an adult. I know what I want to do with my money. Let me do what I want to do with my money. And like, a, hey, mom, I'm going to spend a bunch of money on a <laughs> pixelized ape thing. It's a great idea. Oh, whatever, you idiot. The SEC would have never allowed people to buy these board apes. Oh, no, you're going to pay how much money for that? What? Yeah. Well, and I mean, in like, I think there is some fair cases to be made where there are people who do run like effectively scams. And so I think this oh, is where, oh, like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so, I think there's like same policy that can be designed. I think, I don't know if you guys follow like Hester Pierce, uh, one of the SEC commissioners, she had, especially for like even ICOs, like a great proposal around safe harbor and just like same policies where it's like, look, if you're trying to be like a compliant company, but you're trying to like innovate, there's ways that we can design policy to keep like both like the people on the investing side safe, but also like the entrepreneurs. Um, but like, honestly, clarity is the biggest thing. Otherwise, if there's a big overhang, people will just like leave and go do it somewhere where there's like less risk of accidentally running afoul of whatever thing and incurring tons of legal fees. We've uh, we've been uh, trying to get Hester to come on the show for some time. She's one of the uh, the holdouts that hasn't made it here yet. And if anybody needs a den mother like this show <laughs> needs a den mother. So, Hester, we need a mom. We need a crypto mom. And if you don't mind coming on to talk to us, we would really we, we'd be good boys. Mom, mom, is that you? So right now, said, um, it sounds like to me you said dead mother. I don't den, know. Den, den mother. Den. Oh, that's a Boy Scouts term. I got yeah. you. I didn't yeah. hear that. So I was like, what? Totally not a dead mother. We don't. <laughs> I <laughs> hope like, that's whoever's. Morbid, Joel. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm being bad. So timestamp this uh, date stamp. It is March 23rd, 2022. And of course, there is conflict happening um, in Ukraine with uh, with Russia. And there is a ton of disinformation, misinformation. I got to be candid. I don't know what to believe other than people that are boots on the ground sending me video you know, from the location to tell me what's really happening because our media is, you know, Russia is not the only one providing disinformation and misinformation. Our media is horribly guilty of the same to the fact, to point that, you know, most people don't trust them anymore. So how are NFTs uh, helping the people who are really getting hurt through what's happening right now? Yeah, I mean, so... Maybe to answer that in two frames, I think there's like NFTs that are helping specifically as like a fundraising mechanism, which I think is super interesting. Uh, and then there's also the second component of like Web3 in general, and how are these primitives actually helping, especially on like the misinformation, the disinformation, how do we even collect records of what's happening? Because I think there's like two different sides of that coin. On the NFTs and like fundraising, I think one of the things crypto in general has been really amazing for, and honestly, this is like a historic moment for crypto too, is like in the midst of a war, like 
this government has been, or like the Ukrainian government has been able to raise, what is it, like north of $50 million uh, just through like crypto donations as like there's all of this other volatility going on in the markets. Um, I think the fact that there are these rails that are super resilient where like the money can be given, literally, it's not going to take like however many days to settle over SWIFT or whatever else. It's like literally in whatever time the confirmation transaction for whatever chain, it like lands with them. That's amazing. Um, I think NFTs also are super fascinating as like a proof of donation where, I don't know, you look at all these other times you've had causes or it's like the ALS ice bucket challenge. Like how many people dumped water on their heads and did not donate? That was cold, NFT. by the way. That was really cold. <laughs> I, I don't know how. I usually don't go with the, the flow and somebody persuaded me to do it. And I'm like, damn it, now I'm cold. Well, I mean, the cool thing about NFTs is now you have a way of verifiably showing that you like actually gave money to a cause. Like if you're going to change your, your profile picture on Twitter, the little hexagon will have a smart contract that you can show is like, is this actually the one that's like supporting the right thing? Um, which to me is like a really interesting, just primitive that comes with the fact that we have both like a value flow that's on chain, but also just this like provenance of like, well, where was this NFT minted from? Um, so to me, I think that's like, now I hear that you're in New York, by the way, I hear, I hear the banging going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's going on over there in real time. They're coming through the walls. They're like, yes, he sees here. Right, give us your heard me talking about <laughs> Heard me talking about how NFTs are going to uh, help fight disinformation. They got to silence me. Right now. Now uh, we weren't going to use the video, but if the FBI comes in and carts you away, we are going to use the video. Just saying that. Cool. Be. Cool. Cool. Everyone can see the longhorns too. Yeah. My internet just flickered right then. So that's weird. Yeah. I, so I, I have one last question for you. Are there any services that are still using AWS to host their NFTs because they're in danger. I want to, you know, let's put a warning out there from the centralized service. Um, you know, are, are there any that are still doing that or is pretty much all of the major platforms leveraging IPFS? I would say a large majority of them are using IPFS and Filecoin. I think there are some that are still using centralized URLs, but in very specific contexts. Uh, so, as an example, when people are minting, sometimes they want to give users the ability to edit content. So like mutable, basically like references. Centralized links are good for that. However, we have some tools that are coming out that will solve this in a verifiable way where it's not relying on a specific provider or a specific like server to do that. We can use like other tools. Uh, so both Ceramic has like a stream ID, which is like a tool in their toolkit, IPNS, IPN with an N and S, uh, the interplanetary naming system is like another thing that also allows you to do mutable NFTs. So just making those tools more accessible so people aren't relying on centralized uh, URLs there. Um, and then the other side of it is like new entrants. So like if you're making an NFT project, I think one of the cool things about the last, like call it like 18 months, we've had such an influx of new developers in the space. The downside is a lot of new developers sort of just hop in without really like doing a bunch of the pre-reading. <laughs> and so uh, my my call out is if you are a developer who's building a new project in the space, like definitely, I mean, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter um, or just like, uh, yeah, read about IPFS, Filecoin. There are tools that are out there. Check out NFT storage. It makes it really easy for you to do the thing that you want to do, which is like mint your NFT, do things correctly, but it also future-proofs your users. So like your users aren't going to be like, locked into like the solvency of your specific project or like anything like that. So if something does go wrong, there are ways that the, the content will still stay around. Well, how, how are we going to be able in the future to decentralize ourselves, you know, our, our soul so we can live on, you know, in the, the, uh, I mean, if ever there was a place for a decentralized, um, brain, you know, that we leave behind. It's in the interplanetary, you know, file storage system. Like now we're out there forever. Yeah. I mean, uh, isn't that it's what, better you know, than a head in a jar? Uh, you know, the head in the jar thing, I just find really unattractive. The Simpsons, you know, predicted it, that that's how it would be or Futurama or one of Matt Groening's <laughs> things, but I don't want my head in a jar. I just want my sentience out there decentralized. Yeah, and there we're building all the primitives. Uh, we need Elon Musk to finish up uh, Neuralink, so we have the uh, the ability to download our brains first, and then can stick it on the web. 
Now, Joel's brain, after if he just pulls his sentience out and puts it in something else, it'll just be sitting there just like checking out OpenSea all day and buying NFTs and yeah. <laughs> making fart jokes. Yeah. Well, there's a need for that. <laughs> we, we need... I'm gonna they, the interplanetary they, they fart. Brains it's IPFS is the interplanetary <laughs> fart <laughs> system, right? That's that's what that is. All right, hey uh, John, thanks so much for for coming on today and sharing with us. Um, Protocol.ai is uh, is Protocol Labs and NFT storage for IPFS and Filecoin storage. Thanks, man. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. So there it is. Thank you, John, for coming on. We actually just got done interviewing him um, in real life. And then we record. So, you know, inside baseball here, we don't record the interviews at the same time as the stuff we say before and after. We call these the bookends. So I'm like, Trav, when, are we, when do you want to record the bookends to go with the interview? The stuff that goes before and after. But we actually just got done interviewing Jonathan right before these bookends. And um, smart guy. Some of it's uh, a little over my head because I'm really short when it comes to technology. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it's important to make sure that your NFTs, if you're buying or participating in that space, digital assets, you want to make sure that you're not going to get a rug pull by the server that they're on. And there have already been some projects that, you know, were on AWS and then, you know, you know what's happened when you go to a website and you get that old, that, that dreaded 404 error, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you don't want that 404 error with your NFTs. That's for damn sure, son. Or the broken image. Like that's even that's even more painful. It's like, oh, oh this is where my picture is supposed to show. It used yeah. to be right here. Well, let me show you a picture where my NFT used to be, Jimmy. Oh, look. See, it's not there. I so, used to have a board ape. Two things I want to share with you guys here. The first one, uh, Trav, you and I were actually just talking about this between recordings, is many of you purchased Draco Dice, the, uh, the wax-based NFTs that my son, Zach, who is a co-host on The Nifty Show, came up with. There's thousands of people that own these portable dice pieces, and Zach just released the first game that you can um, play with your Draco dice. We've got an episode of the Nifty Show. I think it's coming out on Monday that goes into more details. But Trav, this is amazing because he's created a Discord-based game that you could play across servers with your Draco dice called Dice Sweeper. And it's this really cool mashup that he came up with that takes Minesweeper, which everybody's played on the, you know Windows PC, um, and Battleship which everybody has played, you know, in, in person on a game board. And he's turned it into this, um, this game you can play on Discord that you can earn cryptocurrency when you win. Really? What, what crypto do you earn? Uh, it's the, the GXP token from Game Exchange. Oh, okay. Very nice. Yeah. So um, right now I'm just going to suggest, you know, there'll be more details in the Nifty Show on Monday. But if you go to discord.gg forward slash Draco Dice, D-R-A-C-O-D-I-C-E, you can go in the server and you'll see there's a Dice Sweeper channel. So if you've got some dice, um, you can play now. It's really easy to onboard. And if you don't, all you need is a set of commons. You could probably buy on Atomic Hub on the Wax blockchain for a buck to get them all and you're, you're ready to play. So good job, Zach. And uh, you guys make sure you subscribe to the Nifty Show so you don't miss out on these cool projects. And I think, uh, Trav, you're going to be adding Dice Sweeper to the um, uh, Soul Shamans Ancient Wisdom Discord as well, right? Yeah, and it would be nice actually. I need to chat with Zach to actually get some uh, some ancient wisdom uh, style dice if we're going to be playing it in the thing. That'd be kind of fun to to have for a show with some cool, you know, sacred geometry or something there on them. That would be really cool. So here's the other announcement, Travis, and I've been chomping at the bit for months to share this. My partner Bill Zanker who is the founder of Learning Annex and his team. I don't know if you guys remember Learning Annex, but they used to put on these arena events all over the country featuring you know, past presidents and major celebrities. And then you'd go in, they'd keynote this thing. And then you'd have people in between talking about real estate opportunities and, and other opportunities for you to, uh, to make money and to prosper individually, to be inspired, to be motivated. Well, uh, Bill 
And I have been working with a major Hollywood celebrity on creating an NFT set that would deliver massive value to this actor's fans. And I am now pleased to finally be able to reveal who that entertainer is. It is you might know him as Judge Dredd. You might know him as Rambo. You might know him as Rocky. And by now, of course, you know that I'm talking about the legendary, the one and only Sylvester Stallone. I had the opportunity to go visit with Sly at his place in Florida in December and got some great pictures that I've posted on Twitter. We'll also put them here in the show notes for this episode, along with the links for the things we've discussed in this episode and uh, spent a couple hours with him and he is all in. We are launching in April Planet Sly. The website is up now, Planet Sly. Dot com and the generative set of 9,997 um, uh, Stallone-inspired NFTs are going to be called Sly Guys. <laughs> They're really cool. The artist um, is uh, Clark Mitchell, who is a Disney Hasbro artist. He's also the gentleman that designed all of the Draco Dice NFTs. And where do you see these Sly Guys? They are a mashup of characters that are inspired by Stallone's films. You're going to freaking love these. We think they're going to be in high demand. Uh, you're going to want to go to the website. You're going to want to get in the Discord and get slide listed. That's our way of saying whitelisted for these Sly guys. Because if you collect three of them, you're going to get a ticket to a dinner that Stallone is going to speak at. And it's going to be an in-person thing. There's going to be other deliverables as well. They're not just profile pictures, but you'll learn more about that when you go to the Discord at discord.gg forward slash planet sly. Jump in there, say, hey, guys, heard about this on Bad Crypto. I'm in. How do, how do I get my sly, guys? It's going to be super great fun, Sir Lord Travis. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That that, that Sylvester Stallone thing been been working on for a while, man. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love it. All right. Don't forget to call us 708-885-9030 so you can get in the anniversary show that's going to come out next Wednesday or write us badcryptopodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, review, ring the bells, tell your neighbor, tell a friend, tell your dog, dogs especially like the sound of our voices. I don't know what it is. It's very soothing to them. And I think the part they enjoy most is when we say... Stay back. Thanks for tuning in and stay back. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.